Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. Today, Pastor Lisa will be preaching from the book of Ruth. Join me as we read this passage together. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other woman named Ruth. But about ten years later, both Malon and Kilion died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. When her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they had took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, You, why would you go with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who would grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' homes, for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible, and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. And again they wept together, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. So the two of them continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? The women asked. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made my life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband Elimelech. One day Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go out to the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. Naomi replied, All right, my daughter, go ahead. 
So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters, and as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. We have really begun to appreciate teachers during this season when parents are at home working as well as homeschooling their kids. And uh, I was listening to a TED Talk this week as I was preparing this message, and it was from a well-known educator, Rita Pearson. And she comes from a long line of teachers. She's a teacher, her parents were teachers, her grandparents were teachers. And she had this to say in the talk, no significant learning takes place without significant relationships. One year, she was teaching a group of at-risk kids she came up with this great idea. She told the kids, you were chosen to be in my class. I'm the best teacher and you're the best students. They put us all together so that we could show everybody this is how you do it. As I prepared this Mother's Day's message, I couldn't think of a better place than Ruth to go to. And just like Rita Pearson said in her quote, significant learning takes place because of significant relationships. It is that significant relationship between Ruth and Naomi that really instructs us. God put two at-risk widows together to show us all how to do it. So once upon a time in the land of uh, Bethlehem, and it was during the time when the judges ruled, there was a famine in Bethlehem. And in Bethlehem, there lived a man named Elimelech, whose name means God is king, and his wife, Naomi, whose name means pleasant. Now, names are really important in this story, and Bethlehem means house of bread. So ironically, in the house of bread, there's no bread. So Elimelech, whose name means God and king, is king, decides to go to Moab to live out the famine. He's going to go to a place where God is not recognized as king. So Naomi and Elimelech, they have two sons named Malon and Kilion. Their names rhyme, and their names mean sickly and weakling. So we already have a clue. Something's not going to go great for those two boys. Tragically, Elimelech dies in Moab, and then 10 years later, his two sons die after they've been married to two Moabite women. And on top of that, all of this death, we also find out that there have been no children born in this family. After a decade of marriage, no children are born. So now the woman Naomi is left without either husband or sons. So this leads us to ask a question. We're wondering, what's happened to this family? And I want you to think about that every loss leads us to ask a question. They lived through famine, barrenness, sickness, death, and in five short verses, we learn about all of these losses. The writer tells us the story emotionally without shedding a tear. The shortness of it makes it all seem the more brutal and devastating. This is a tragic story. We see Naomi's life in this downward spiral. She's lived through famine. She's lost husband. She's lost her children. This is a woman deprived of husband, stripped of children, and exiled from her homeland. 
Suddenly, she who had a full, happy family, she's seen her family shrink to just two daughter-in-laws and herself. And again, we see that there are no children. For a Hebrew, uh, during this time, no children, that would have been the greatest of tragedies. It would have been devastating. Naomi is living in a time where she's a widow with no male to protect her in a male-dominated society. She's too old to go live with her parents. At that time, you would have married your brother, uh, your husband's brother, and he would have ca uh, carried on the family line. But Naomi's too old to do that either. It seems like all of her options are not plausible for this widow. She's childless. And like the women of the Bible, Hannah, Sarah, Elizabeth, she suffers the shame of being barren in her old age. She has no sons. She has no grandchildren. And her family line is about to die out. And there's no greater tragedy than that in Israel. Naomi is the female equivalent of Job. Job lost everything quickly over a matter of days, but Naomi lost everything over a decade, just losing one thing after another. She experienced a slow and deadly stripping away of all that she loved. Now, Naomi, like Job, is also a theologian. When she turned her eyes towards God, she asked him this question, do you love me? Job asked a different question. When he went through his suffering, he he asked God, have I sinned that this should happen to me? What have I done to warrant this? Naomi frames her question in terms of, God, do you love me? Job frames his question in terms of justice. So Naomi's been devastated. She's hit rock bottom. She's lost everyone that she loves. She now lives at the mercy of others. She is an at-risk widow in a male-dominated society. And she complains about her fate. She says, don't call me Naomi or Pleasant. Call me Mara or Bitter, for God has abandoned me, and he has made my life very bitter. She asks, do you love me, God? An honest reading of Ruth or any of the Bible reveals that God does not shy away from awkward questions. Eugene Peterson put it this way, no literature is more realistic and honest in facing the harsh facts of the life than the Bible. At no time is there the faintest suggestion that the life of faith exempts us from difficulties. On every page of the Bible, there's recognition that faith encounters troubles. Naomi's story is an invitation to all of us to grieve and lament. She's a woman who suffered unspeakable tragedies, yet she continues to follow God, talking to him honestly and authentically. God welcomes our lament. Lament helps us hold on to God. You know, God knows that our tendency is when we're going through something hard to either pretend like it's okay or to walk away and believe he doesn't care about us. Lamenting allows us to keep engaged with God. When we lament, we are inviting God into the pain. So a lament is a complaint that asks a question. And I suggest to you every loss ask a question. 
So Job, in his loss, he asked God, why have I sinned? How have I sinned? Habakkuk, as Mike has been preaching to us, asked, how long shall I cry out, O Lord? David, he asked many questions in the Psalms. And in Psalm 13, he says this, how long will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? The saints in the Old Testament brought their complaints to God. Every lament features some kind of complaint framed as a question. This isn't whining or sinful rehearsing of anger. A lament is humble, honest, searching after God. The the lamenter is trying to identify their pain and suffering, and they're using questions to express the anguish of their soul. So I want to ask you, what kind of questions are you asking right now? See, questions allow us to explore what we're feeling. When we feel numb, that can feel better sometimes than feeling the pain. But it's actually that numbness prolonging our grief. Loss can feel like a fog. As we're going through this coronavirus, the days all feel the same. Um, we're experiencing the tragedy of seeing people die. We're reading terrible news in the newspaper. We're feeling uh, the loss of our finances and of, and of the life that we're used to having. We're all on emotional overload, and it feels like a fog or a cloud is descending on us. I want to just suggest this to you that questions can allow us to begin to penetrate the fog. Questions, though they feel sharp, are an antidote to the fog that makes us feel numb. On every page of our Bible is the recognition that our faith can encounter troubles. The biblical record is that faith can answer and handle questions. Job and his lost asked God, how have I sinned? And God reserved the right to answer his questions. And God answered Job by questioning Job. When Naomi comes to God and says, God, do you love me? Your hand's gone out against me. God graciously and lovingly answered her question in the person of Ruth. It's crucial to understand that the lament is far more than grumbling or complaining. Asking questions shaped by our pain is part of our grieving process. So every loss asks a question. And every question then requires a decision. So Naomi's wrestling with God. She's trying to understand what her faith looks like in the face of her loss. And part of her wrestling means that Naomi has to make a decision. So when Naomi hears that in Bethlehem, God's provided food again, she decides to go back to Bethlehem. This is a turning point in the story. It's not always easy to hear God when you're going through a rough time. Uh, In a season of loss, we don't always sense God's presence. But when we are in that place and we do hear God, then we have to give that place priority. When Naomi heard that God was moving, Naomi decided to move. God had blessed Bethlehem with food, 
That means in the house of bread, once again, they have bread. This is the first mention of God in the story. And Naomi decides, I'm going to go home. If God's moving, then I want to go home and see him at work. So she packs her bags and starts on the journey with her two daughter-in-laws. Somewhere on the road back to Bethlehem, Naomi speaks. There have been no words uh, spoken in this story up to this point. So Naomi breaks this silence, and the first words of any biblical story are always pretty important. And here's what Naomi says to her daughter-in-laws. Look, go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. First, she says, go back. It's an urgent plea. She says, look, look at me. I'm a mess. I have nothing to give you. Turn back around. Don't come with me. Look, turn around. Go back to your home. Naomi, she's wishing good things for her daughter-in-law. She wants them to have new husbands. She wants them to have new lives. She wants them to have children. She's asking the Lord to show Ruth and Orpah the love and kindness that they have showed her. She's asking God, will you give them your blessing? Or the word she says in Hebrew is, will you give them your hesed? Naomi's basically acknowledging she has nothing to bless these women with. She is empty. She has nothing. But she still longs to bless these two women that she loves. Hesed is it's a special Hebrew word. And it's a, the theme that's throughout this book of Ruth. So the English equivalent, we don't really have one for this word, but it's the idea of love that's loyal, that's kind, that... Uh, it's the kind of love that is steadfast and never wavers. Naomi's giving us a clue to how we can walk through this crisis. When we have nothing left to give, when we are empty, we can still call upon God to bless, just like Naomi blessed her daughter-in-laws. We can call upon God to pour out his loving kindness. We can pour out, ask God, will you pour out your steadfast love into this empty situation? You see, Yahweh is the ultimate hesed giver. And we can have confidence that he is able and he is willing to pour out his steadfast love into the situation. Jeremiah knew a lot about lamenting. And he says it this way. The steadfast love of the Lord, or the hesed of God, it never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. See, Jeremiah knew in Lamentations 3, God's hesed is available, and he will pour it out. So in her grief and desperation, Naomi, she could still pray in faith. God's love still reached her and still used her to bless others. So then the next thing that happens is that Naomi begins to say goodbye to these daughter-in-law. She wants to end the relationship. She's freeing Ruth and Orpah from any formal relationship with her 
or any future responsibility for her. So she says goodbye to them, and you see these women all cry and hug each other, and the daughter-in-laws keep insisting, no, no, Naomi, we'll follow you back to Bethlehem. Naomi, though, is convinced that this should not happen. Obviously, you see these three women, they love each other, but Naomi is ready to break the bond with her daughter-in-laws because no matter how much she loves them, she believes that their future has a better chance if they go back to Moab. So she tells them goodbye. Remember, I had said earlier that every loss asks a question. So now as they're on the road together, Naomi asks her two daughter-in-laws this question. And it's the same question that we are all thinking because of the death and the barrenness and the famine. And she asked them this question, and it is, why would you come back with me? She looks her two daughter-in-laws in the face, and she says, why? Why would you do this? I'm broken down. I've lost everything. I have nothing to give you. And so she asked them, why would you come with me? So I think this is her strategy. She asked the, the stark, blunt question because she's trying to discourage them from following her. She doesn't want them to tie their happiness or their future to her. She believes they should turn around and go to Moab. This is Naomi's lament. After this question, we hear her say this. No, my daughters, it's more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. She believes Yahweh's hand has gone out against her. And in the Old Testament, God's hand was his irresistible power. So Naomi in her tragedy says God's hand, and so she's saying in the strongest way possible, God's gone against me, so to follow me is to court disaster. She's telling her daughter-in-laws, you shouldn't follow me, you should shun me. She's telling them, all of my losses, they're because of God. And if God's involved in my loss, then the only way that I'll be saved is if God miraculously does so. She makes her bitter complaint with an acknowledgement that God is in control of all things. So I hope you're beginning to realize that lamenting is an important part of how the Bible teaches us how to grieve. To lament is biblical and it's healthy. When we're lamenting, we're praying and we're opening up the pain and we're allowing it to be healed, reshaped, and directed by God. So Naomi's asked these two daughter-in-law's a question, and Naomi's question requires a decision. So again, we see the women weep and hug, and, and after that happens, Orpah makes a decision, and Orpah decides she's going to go back to Moab. So she kisses Naomi and says goodbye. But Ruth makes a completely different decision. The text tells us that Ruth clings to Naomi. She embraces Naomi, and she will not let her go. Naomi looks at, her, at uh, 
Ruth, and she's like, look, your sister uh, Orpah, she's gone. She's gone back to Moab. Why don't you follow her? She says she's chosen a normal life, but Ruth refuses to listen and continues to cling to her. You see, every decision has a destination. Orpah makes a decision, and her destination is to return home, but Ruth makes a completely different destination, I mean decision. Ruth's decision is to follow Naomi, and the destination is to follow her all the way to Bethlehem. It's at this moment of decisions that every destination is shaped. And here's what Ruth says to Naomi as she makes that decision. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. In some of the most beautiful words of the Old Testament, Ruth answers Naomi's question, and her decision has a destination, and it's following Naomi all the way back to Bethlehem. But Ruth's saying her commitment goes even farther than that. She says she'll follow Naomi way past Bethlehem. Ruth's decision has a destination, and she tells Naomi, where you're buried, that's where I will be buried. Remember, every decision has a destination. So Orpah made a decision. And the text, it doesn't criticize her. But it does put into highlight and into spotlight the amazing thing that Ruth is doing. Ruth's willing to cut off her Moabite roots. She leaves family. She leaves race. She leaves a religion in order to remain with Naomi permanently. Orpah did the sensible thing. Ruth does the amazing thing. So Naomi has asked God to pour out his said or loving kindness on her daughter-in-laws. But what Ruth does, she exemplifies what his said or love looks like. She lays her life down for Naomi. So just like all the names in this book have been crucial, you need to understand and know what Ruth's name means. Ruth's name means refreshment or comfort. Naomi asks God this, God, do you love me? And God answers her, giving her Ruth, whose name means comfort. Every tragedy shapes us. We should not minimize the pain that these two women are going through. It costs Naomi as she makes that journey back to Bethlehem. And as she enters into those gates at Bethlehem after this long journey, the whole town's talking. They come following her saying, is this Naomi? Where's Elimelech? What happened to Malon and Kilion? And uh, Naomi dramatically answers their questions. She's not the same woman that left there 10 years ago. Tragedy has shaped her. And she looks at them and says, don't call me Naomi. Call me bitter. 
I left here full, but I have come back empty. Once I had a husband and children, and now I have nothing. Why would you call me Naomi? God has raised his hand against me, and he has left me bitter. See, the cost of Naomi, she's expressing it emotionally. She's feeling it as she comes back to Bethlehem. She is brutal. She is honest. She doesn't pretend everything is fine. She doesn't stuff her pain. She just lets it spill out all over the place. She tells everyone, God has dealt bitterly with me. And she tells them that she's empty. Naomi's words are raw, but she still is choosing to acknowledge God. She declares that Yahweh's in control of it all. Everything is ultimately from him. Her theology is profoundly God-centered. Underlying Naomi's lament is just this deep trust. She is not turning away from God, quite the opposite. She is turning in towards him in the face of her pain. And so she is shaped by her pain as she returns to Bethlehem. And she explains to him, my pain is so deep, you, you have to realize it's changed my name. You can't call me Naomi anymore. You can't call me Pleasant. She chooses a name that reflects what she's been through. She says, call me Mara. Call me Bitter. And then she gives them a picture. It's like she paints a picture of them of what her pain looks like. She said, I left here full and happy, but I come back empty, and I have lost everything. So now we're going to look at the cost for Ruth. Ruth made a vow to Naomi, and she made a vow to Naomi's God. And again, I'll remind you of these beautiful, beautiful words. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. So Ruth is a woman who knows the power of words. And the sad thing, though, is no one will be listening to her words when she goes to Bethlehem. The word for widow in, in Hebrew actually means the one unable to speak. See, widows in this time were silent people. They were vulnerable, they were powerless, they had few choices. In the midst of a patriarchal society, a widow could not speak for herself. She was dependent on a man to speak for her. So when she arrives to Bethlehem and she's uh, making a new life for herself, she is a speechless widow that no one listens to. But... She wakes up and tells uh, Naomi, I'm going to get up this morning and I'm going to go join the local welfare program. And the local welfare program in Bethlehem was gleaning. You see, Ruth doesn't just speak. Ruth acts. Someone has to face the harsh realities of what is happening and someone has to go find food for them to eat. So like I said, the welfare program in Bethlehem was gleaning. So God allowed the poor to go into the fields 
during harvest, and they could gather the grain that was in the corners of the field and on the edges of the field. And God told anyone who was harvesting, if you drop it, any grain, you leave it so that the poor can gather it behind you. So I want you to think about this. There's been 10 years of famine. Everybody's hungry in Bethlehem. So there would have been a lot of competition for gleaning in the fields. And, uh, but Ruth doesn't let this stop her because her life is shaped by a vow. And she has promised before God and she has promised to Naomi that she'll do whatever it takes to provide for Naomi. And at great cost to herself, she goes to that field. And remember, Ruth's a Moabitess. She's hated by the Israelites. She's from Moab, and they can't stand the sound of her language. She has to have this amazing courage to walk into that field. You see, Naomi's been shaped by pain, but what shapes Ruth is her vow. She has to face the same painful realities as Naomi, but she does so with active concern for Naomi. Her vow's obvious in every choice she makes. We understand how committed she is to Naomi because she gets up and goes off to that field. By her own choice, she puts Naomi first above her own personal happiness. But she doesn't seem overwhelmed by the vow. It seems like it energizes her. Ruth is active. Ruth is decisive. The book of Ruth really challenges me as we walk through this COVID pandemic. Here you have this picture of these two women, Ruth and Naomi, and I think that they're the perfect picture for us of how to handle this crisis. Naomi grieves and laments, Ruth comforts and acts. If we're gonna get through this, we're gonna have to grieve and lament, and we're gonna have to, like Ruth, comfort and act. Lamenting is important. It reveals our faith that it's not a facade that just crumbles in the midst of crisis. But in this season of life, I think Ruth and her, what she modeled and how she loved Naomi, I think she is such an example to us. See, Ruth first thought about Naomi's needs, not her own. And I think it challenges us. How do we live in this season and not think about our own needs first? Ruth acted with courage, and she did not let risk deter her from giving. Again, that's such a challenge to us. Ruth, she's a powerful reminder that the most important thing is to commit yourself to people and to commit yourself to your God. She followed Yahweh no matter what. She followed Naomi. It says she clung to her. If we're going to get through this, we will have to cling to each other and we will have to cling to our God. We need this active, selfless, loyal love to navigate this season. I love this verse from Micah. It says, God's people are to do justly, to love has said, and to walk humbly with our God. We've seen so many of you all prepare meals or buy meals for others, deliver groceries, give money. And most of all, we've seen you pray. 
And what I ask of you is, will you keep it up? Let us be like Ruth who takes risk in giving to others. Ruth's story is in a way so ordinary. Perhaps that's why it's so compelling. She doesn't come from a famous family. She's not wealthy. Ruth is just a widow. Nothing has gone in her favor, but she is brave and she is courageous and her faith never wavers. She's willing to risk and love and she's willing to do it again and again. And yet the life of this foreign widow becomes so important that it's included in the Bible. She is the great-grandmother to King David. Her name is recognized in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. What looks like a little life filled with pain is in reality a life that impacts all of history. Ruth inspires me. She challenges me, but most of all, she convicts me. I read this quote from Richard Foster, and I think it encapsulates the life of Ruth. He said, the quiet power of a life transformed by the grace of God is so explosive that it can redirect the course of human events. That sounds like Ruth to me. As I'm kind of closing up, I want you to look at Naomi's life. I want you to look at Ruth's life, but I want you to know that the true hero of this story is God himself. There are deep insights in the story about God and how he moves in the background and how he moves in the foreground and how he is constantly pouring out his love and his steadfast kindness towards us. He's always pouring out his love upon us. All of the great stories in the Bible show us that God is ultimately the hero. And when we are in a dark time and in the darkest chapters of our life, we have to remember God is the hero. And when we hold on to that in faith, God always shows up. God is the one who moved Ruth and Naomi from emptiness to fullness, from barrenness to fruitfulness, and from death to life. Chapter 1 begins in a famine, but it ends in harvest. Ruth begins the story with the death of Naomi's family, but it ends with the rebirth of Naomi's family. Naomi declares that she went out full, but she came back empty in chapter 1, but at the end of the book, all of the women of Bethlehem come around and they put into uh, Naomi's empty arms a new baby. We watch the downward spiral and the loss of family and of loved ones, but by the end of this book, we see the rise of Naomi, the rise of Ruth, as they are included in the ancestral line of King David and then as Ruth is included in the line of Jesus. Ruth is the great-grandma of King David. You see, only God could take a Moabite widow and make her into the great-grandmother of the most famous king of Israel. I want to end this time uh, with a prayer for the women of our church. And... uh, We're focusing on Mother's Day, 
But I think what this book teaches us is that women mother in many different ways. And whether they have biological children or not, women are always mothering. So this is the blessing. And uh, it comes from all of the prayers that are written all throughout the book of Ruth. So let me pray this over you. May the Lord repay you, ladies, for what you have done as you have poured yourself out for others. May you know that the protected, secure place God has for you is underneath the shadow of his wings. Ask God that he would spread his garment over each one of you. And as women of our church, that you would know your kinsman redeemer. I pray that his power to redeem would restore all that you have lost in this season and all that has been stolen from you. I pray that in this time of loss, that God would build up each of us as women and that he would build up our households like he built up all of Israel through Rachel and Leah. Renew us, O oh God, and sustain us so that we can be Ruth to one another. And Lord, will you please place into each of our lives a Ruth who will refresh us and comfort us. Thank you, Lord, for this amazing story, and we thank you for it in the name of Jesus, our almighty Redeemer. Amen. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. If you have any prayer needs at all, please be sure to visit risenking.life and fill out a care request card. Be sure to stay connected with us all week by visiting us on social media. We're really excited because next week we're going to be offering some prayer rooms after the services by utilizing Zoom, so stay tuned for more information on that. But for now, if you have any needs at all or any prayer requests, be sure to visit risenking.life. We want to say again, Happy Mother's Day. Enjoy this Mother's Day weekend. Be sure to rest and have a joyful day. We'll see you next week.